Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. Manufacturing in the Carolinas is substantial. While it's less than 20% of the total output in North and South Carolina, it still posts some pretty big numbers. I'm Chris William, and welcome again to the most widely watched and longest running program on Carolina business policy and public affairs seen each and every week across North and South Carolina for more than 30 years now. Manufacturing, by the numbers, employs over 700,000 direct jobs in the Carolinas, and annual output is more than $150 billion. It is not small. In a moment, we will unpack what it means right now in manufacturing in the Carolinas with the head of the National Association of Manufacturers, Jay Timmons joins us, and we start right now. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, healthcare, rural churches, and children's services. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, an executive profile featuring Jay Timmons, President and CEO of the National Association of Manufacturers. The New South has a lot to give credit to manufacturing for. I'm Chris William and welcome again to this dialogue. We are glad to have now the President Chief Executive Officer of not just the National Association of Manufacturers, but also the Chairman of the Board of the Manufacturing Institute. And in some ways, a son of the South, if you will, politically. Uh, we welcome now from the campus of SAS in the Triangle, Jay Timmons. Jay, welcome to the program. And I, I guess, welcome home. Is that fair? Yeah, it's uh, my adopted home. Uh, <laughs> formerly uh, worked for Governor Martin and Congressman McMillan, so have a lot of connections to the Carolinas. Uh, and thanks for taking the time. I know you're heading into Manufacturing Day and a lot of activities around that, and certainly in the South. But but, but Jay, let's let's unpack one of the one of the biggest challenges on everyone's dashboard, whether you've got a personal balance sheet or you're a manufacturer or you're a bank, and that's this idea of pretty broad based pretty large movements in inflation. In manufacturing, how much of a, a headwind is that right now? Well, it's the number one headwind for our members. We, you know, we do it a quarterly survey and that unsurprisingly is, is kind of the number one challenge for, for everyone right now. Uh, you, you think about it though, in terms of kind of three uh, really big challenges. You have, you have inflation, mm -hmm. um, you have other economic headwinds like the the cost of energy, and then you have um, um, th then you have the, the crisis that we have in the workforce. Trying to find enough workers to do the jobs that we have available, we have hundreds of thousands of jobs available, 
uh, but we can't find the folks with the skills necessary to fill those jobs. We're not unique. Every other sector of the economy is going through the same thing. But this is really the first time in history, Chris, that I think we've seen, at least modern history, where we've seen unemployment so low and um, yet so many jobs still to be filled. And then you have inflation and interest rates going up. So it's this perfect storm that that really is uh, causing causing some problems. I see it easing, uh, but it's going to take a while. Do you see this this fear of inflation as we've had? And it's on, as you all know, Jay, it's on a lot of your members' minds, but it's it's pretty broad in the media. People talk around and around the dinner table about this. But is this fear of inflation and also recession? Uh, I don't want to say overblown, but certainly ha are we making more out of what, and I don't want to be dismissive of this either, but there's a natural order to an expansion and contraction um, that we'll get through, I'm sure. But how do you frame that dialogue? What do you think about a recession and where we are? Well, I think we're in uncharted territory, to be perfectly frank about it. Um, if you think back two years ago, uh, when we were going through the pandemic, the previous administration signed into law trillions and trillions of dollars of debt uh, to pay folks uh, so that they wouldn't lose their jobs to keep the economy going. We didn't know what to do at the time. Uh, we said at the time that that would be inflationary. I don't think that government, either the last administration or this administration, has properly prepared people for the impact of that. I think it was a natural occurrence. Um, so you had all that debt financing and you had the, the new administration coming in, more debt financing. Uh, so you have all this money in the economy that is chasing goods that are not being produced. So we have this supply chain crisis as well, um, which is impeding our ability to get finished products to the market. And you have all this money saying, hey, we want to buy these products. That's going to lead to inflation. I think it's cooling off. And one of the reasons I think it's cooling off is because you're starting to see a little bit of a thaw in the supply chain, a little bit, not you know, it's not it's not solved yet, uh, but you know, as soon as that starts to to really unlock, I think you'll start to see inflationary pressures reduce. Uh, and of course, the Fed actions have have uh, helped cool the economy a bit. Some of the latest numbers we've seen show that maybe the economy is starting to cool. Our I, I think our goal, all of us, should want to have a soft landing when it comes to uh, the economy cooling down. We don't want a hard recession. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's hard to tell where that's going to come out. But again, it's it's uncharted territory because we have we we have all these factors in place that we haven't seen in previously. Six months to a year ago, headlines were all about supply chain crisis. You don't hear about it much anymore. But in, in your in your just your comments now, Jay, you made mention that there is a there still is a supply chain crisis. Sure. To what level of acuteness is there a supply chain crisis? Well, gosh, I, I don't know if I want to uh, assign a level to it, but I would just say that it continues to be problematic. It continues to be a, a main concern for, for our manufacturing members. We have 14,000 manufacturers that are part of our association, and a large number of those report that supply chain bottlenecks are continuing to be a crisis. Now, you think about how that manifests itself into our everyday lives. One of the biggest challenges that we have and thankfully, under the leadership of the president and Republicans and Democrats in Congress, we have begun to address this. But it's the uh, the, the chips crisis or the semiconductor um, um, chip 
that goes into literally everything that we that we make today, whether it's cars or fans or lights or uh, truly everything, appliances. We had a tremendous shortage uh, of chips in this country. It's again starting to thaw because we're starting to get more product from Taiwan and other areas of Asia. But what the United States has done, which I think is incredibly smart, is we've now decided we're going to invest again. We used to do this here, um, but we somehow let semiconductor fabrication uh, facilities move overseas. That is such a vital part of not only our economic security, but our national security. The Chips and Science Act that the president signed into law a couple of months ago is going to help going to help with that crisis. It's longer term, takes a few years to build these fabrication uh, facilities, but it's going to be it's going to be good for America. Jay, let's let's take that and, and let me just bring a comment. You you talked about the, the Trump administration, the Biden administration, uh, when it came to almost working in a blind, re- responding to COVID and issuing so much money and, and making pushing so much liquidity in the system and trying to manage through that. Mm-hmm. Is there a risk? Um, and and not to pin it on the Democrats or the Republicans, but as the as the Biden administration authorized the Chips and Science Act, is there a risk? that we can go too far, and I'm going to call it a subsidy. It's not really that, but can we go too far with that too? How do we know how to do this without uh, overdoing it? Well, look, I think you have to look around the world and you have to see what our competitors are doing. And China in particular uh, has a strategy to take away the ability of of other other countries uh, to be self-sustaining when it comes to this very vital technology. Um, they have pumped lots of money into their economy through direct subsidization. Um, and what we're doing is we're providing incentives in this country. Rather than just giving money away, we're providing subsidies to encourage companies to make that next investment here in the United States, hire American workers, and make sure that they have um, uh, wages and benefits that uh, will allow them to have a, a good quality of life. So I, I, I think that uh, occasionally we worry, frankly, a little bit too much about how we are approaching some of these problems um, because we haven't done it before. We haven't done things to this magnitude before, but we also haven't seen a world economy operating as it has today. I think we're bifurcating, whether we like it or not, I think we're bifurcating into two different types of economies where we are part of a free market capitalistic uh, type economy that we, we, wanna, we wanna encourage uh, among our allies and our friends. And then there's the command economy that you see in China and Russia and other countries like that. And, uh, we thought we could coexist, and I, and I still think we can in the long run, but right now, there's such tension in the world geopolitically that if we're not, if we're not taking care of ourselves, uh, we will get run over by our competition, and it won't be pretty. I would be miss. I want to do two things. I want to come back to the manufacturing, global manufacturing, and how NAM and and, and members respond to that. But uh, you also mentioned about some of the things, the current events going on. Western Europe, price of energy, um, certainly Ukraine, Russia. How do those events affect what you and what your strategy is for manufacturing right now? Do they, or I mean, do you whistle past the graveyard to some degree? 
No, I think you have to you have to be very focused on what's happening around the world. We're in a global economy. Uh, we're not we're not in isolation, nor should we be. Ninety five percent of our customers reside outside of the United States. Mm -hmm. So uh, if we only manufactured for the domestic uh, market, well, we wouldn't be as as strong and vibrant as we are. That said, you look at Russia's atrocities, you look at their war crimes and what they're doing uh, to to a peaceful democracy, Ukraine. Ukraine in particular is pretty much the breadbasket of the world. So you think about food manufacturers and how that's disrupting the supply chain uh, in terms of what we are able to produce, not only here, but in other countries around the world. You think about Russia and their energy uh, footprint in Europe, as you mentioned, uh, by by distorting the markets or frankly cutting them off, uh, you're going to see some pretty difficult days for for Europe. So, so what do we do in the United States as energy manufacturers? Uh, we also want to make sure that that Europe has the supply that they need. So you're starting to see more um, more effort to to increase liquefied natural gas exports to Europe from the United States because we want our allies um, to you know to not be hobbled. Uh, by by Russia's aggression. Mm -hmm. a, de a decade or so ago, Jay, as you well know, there was much heralded about offshoring and there was a lot of angst about some of the, in the, certainly in the Carolinas, about the manufacturing going offshore and hollowing out some traditional manufacturers here in North and South Carolina. And now uh, their a recent headline in a, uh, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, maybe the New York Times talked about how things are moving from China now because it's become more prohibitive to manufacture there. Is there some repatriation back to the U.S. or certainly the North American continent, or is this just another step in global manufacturing? I'm really glad you mentioned the North American continent because this is not about America only. It can't be. Um, I, I suppose we would all you know, there, there's part of us that would like to say, well, we can just do it all in America. We don't need anybody else. But that's not true. And one of the reasons that we have the uh, the NAFTA agreement in place um, is that this particular region, North American region, Canada, Mexico, United States, uh, has, you know, we, we have the ability to be a powerhouse economically if we're if we're working with each other. I remember the days in the 1980s when the textile industry and even the furniture industry uh, was being hollowed out of the Carolinas. Um, that was a very difficult and dark time for, for many people. What I'm happy to see today is this renewal, this recommitment to growing manufacturing in the United States. And what you're seeing is, um, I, I'm not a fan of the term reshoring um, because I, I think that's misleading. What I think is is... Uh, factual is that the next dollar that's invested is being invested here in the United States. We want to see that. And I think what you'll see over time, as as long as we understand that the cost of doing business overall is a key factor of where manufacturing occurs, you think in terms of the cost of transportation, does it make sense to manufacture something here and then ship it across the ocean? Can you actually be competitive or do you need to manufacture it overseas. As long as we can be competitive in terms of tax rates, in terms of regulatory regulatory cost burdens, then there's really nothing that we can't achieve. And you think back to 2017 and those, those um, um, historic tax mm -hmm. reforms that were achieved, 
manufacturers made promises. And we said, if we have those reforms and if we can ensure regulatory certainty, then you'll see more investment here. You'll see more job creation. You'll see more wage growth. We've kept our promises with record increases in each of those areas since those tax cuts took place. I think you're going to see more of that. And what you're seeing also is you're seeing the states compete. Um, Governor Cooper, Governor McMaster's, they, they know that they have to have the right policies in place to attract manufacturing into their states because 48 other states you know, are trying to do exactly the same thing. So you're seeing this race to the top uh, by, uh, by governors and legislatures in all the states. I think that's good for America. Do, do you get the sense, uh, and you know a little something about public policy and government relations because you did that for a long time, but do you get the sense, you talk about Governor McMaster in South Carolina, they have a serious priority about tax reform, but also uh, on the federal side, do you see that there is some uh, some good fiscal, uh, I'm sorry, fis yeah, fiscal policy around uh, around lowering tax burden, around moving forward in general? So, no. Um, to be blunt, um, I am highly impressed with the current administration when it comes to the Chips and Science Act and when it comes to the uh, investment that we've made in our nation's infrastructure, which if we thought that that was a priority uh, previously, all we have to do is look at Hurricane Ian and the devastating effects of that to understand why that investment is important. But unfortunately, um, the president is very focused on actually raising uh, tax rates on business. And philosophically, he and I just simply disagree on that. And I've had the opportunity to talk directly to him about it. Um, and thankfully, we have been able, five times, I believe, stop the attempts of the administration and some in Congress who would like to do that. And the message that we have is every time you raise the cost of doing business in the United States, you risk these same investments that you're trying to incentivize. So why would we try to incentivize, for instance, chip fabrication here in the United States and with, with one, I think, really phenomenal tool mm -hmm. and then take another tool away? It's like taking one step forward and two steps back. That makes no sense. So I, I think everyone in the business community needs to really um, make sure that their members of Congress and their United States senators understand the impact that tax reform has had on their businesses. I don't think we tell our stories well enough to be to be perfectly honest. And I think we have to tell the story of what that has meant for our growth, but also during the pandemic, our survival. If we hadn't had those, I, I can't even imagine what would have happened to the economy if we hadn't if, if we had the higher rates in place that we had before. Mm -hmm. What are you hopeful that any midterm outcome is going to give you some wind at your back with uh, either tax reform or some type of sympathetic policy? So I, th I, I, the good news, I think, for manufacturers is that members of both parties want to see manufacturing grow and thrive in this country. Uh, our job at the NAM, and I believe the job of every single um, business leader in manufacturing and every single manufacturing employee is to make sure that those members of Congress and senators, regardless of what political party they belong to, um, have the facts, understand exactly what it means um, when, when Congress begins to deliberate some of these very difficult issues like taxes mm -hmm. uh, or, or regulatory burden. Um, I have found that when they understand, for instance, Senator Sinema, 
was absolutely key. She's a Democrat from Arizona. She was absolutely key to making sure that those taxes were not raised on on uh, job producing businesses in this country. If it had not been for her, we probably would have lost that vote. So I see it in both parties. I see both parties wanting to do the right thing. Um, they just have to have the facts behind them. Jay, much, much of the oxygen in the room, if you will, is being consumed by the folks around a hybrid working environment, but, but it's specific to the services sector or related sectors. Manufacturing is a little bit different, isn't it? So how, what does the new hybrid work experience look like in manufacturing when you can't really work from home in many ways? How does, how does that flesh out? Yeah, well, the shop floor, you, you can't. Um, although I will say that there's a lot of technological advances that allow um, some folks in manufacturing to to actually work from home. Uh, there are some there are some jobs uh, on the line where they can work remotely. You have headquarters jobs mm -hmm. that can be partially remote. I think the big challenge for not only manufacturers but every business is how do you how do you um, ensure that the esprit de corps is there? Uh, manufacturing teams tend to be more like families. We're a very diverse lot. You know, every every race, every nationality, every religion, every orientation, every gen or both genders, uh, all genders, and and so it's really great, uh, frankly, for me to walk onto a manufacturing floor and see the kinship and the camaraderie uh, between our manufacturing uh, uh, members of our manufacturing workforce. You lose that if you're if you're remote mm -hmm. so i think all all business leaders are trying to figure out how to navigate this new reality um, and there's no easy answer uh, but there are certainly jobs to your point mm -hmm. that have to be done on the shop floor um, and what i see is i actually see those employees um, happier more fulfilled than a lot of folks that are working remotely uh, that's interesting. What what do you feel like, you know, the big thing has been about productivity and I know you can speak for manufacturing. Do you feel like productivity is held up or maybe increased with this, whatever a hybrid arrangement is? Uh, you know, I, I think it depends on the business. Um, I think during the, 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 the apex of the crisis that productivity was very high. We all knew what we had to do and everybody was doing it. Um, I think it remains to be seen if that can if that can hold, because I I still believe that I still believe the human connection is so powerful, and uh, it's also very important for, um, for for that next generation coming along to be able to learn. It's one thing to to be you know my kids are in school and they they use laptop computers to learn about a lot of different things and different subjects. But it's not the same as sitting in a class with a teacher and 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 having that one-on-one -on -one human interaction. Mm -hmm. um, we're a, you know we we are we are a unique species. We we need uh, we need each other. Uh, we need each other to be present. So I think um, one of the challenges for business leaders will be to bring people back together. Maybe not maybe not the same way we did before, uh, but that's going to be important. That human experience that that's going to be really important. Jay, we, we have about two minutes left and, and I want to at least get this in. When we talk about can't find enough workers in any industry, in any sector, 
Um, is immigration the single most important debate around getting that right so we can help? Would immigration solve a good part of that? So, you know, um, this is manufacturing week. Um, I'm at SAS, uh, the SAS campus now. I'm going to head to Nephron Pharmaceuticals uh, later this week in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, I hear it wherever we go um, that we just simply don't have enough workers. I think there's around 800,000 open jobs in the sector today. Uh, that has steadily been pretty steady since the pandemic. And that just frankly amazes me as a kid who um, saw high unemployment and everybody wanted a factory job and, um, and there just weren't enough jobs to go around. We've got plenty of jobs now. And to your point and to your question on immigration, that is absolutely part of the um, of the equation. We have folks who want to work, who have the skills, who could work. I think of the Ukrainians that we invited to this country who are being displaced. I think of the Af Afghani allies mm -hmm. that we invited to this country because they couldn't live in their homeland. Um, and we're not providing them work visas because the system is so backed up, because the system is so broken. That makes no sense to me. I, it, it, economically, it, you can debate the, the humanity of immigration all day. You can be empathetic. You can be not empathetic. But what you can't debate is that our, that our economy would be stronger, our country would be stronger, if we had the workers necessary to fill the jobs that we have open today. Mm -hmm. And we need them in manufacturing. So we're going to, you know, we have Creators Wanted, which is our campaign, our Manufacturing Institute campaign on the ground. That's going to be at Nephron uh, this week. Mm -hmm. We are inviting literally hundreds, if not thousands of young people right. to see for themselves what manufacturing is all about. But they can't fill all the jobs. Immigration can help. Jay, Jay, I wish we had more time to unpack that and give you a chance to, to answer that. But thank you. I think uh, it seems... NAM is in very good hands with you at the helm. Thank you for taking time. Welcome back to the Carolinas and uh, certainly our best on Manufacturing Day up at SAS, down at Nephron and other places, but thank you. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here. Thank you, sir. Until next week, I'm Chris William. Happy weekend. Good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, the Duke Endowment, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.